0: Hello everyone and welcome back to Ghouls in the House. I'm Natalie Latovsky.
1: And I'm Arnold T. Blumberg.
0: And today we're going to cover truly one of our shared favorite films.
1: Early on when we met, there were two movies, I think it's pretty much two movies, Mm -hmm. that we immediately realized there's something here because we both loved these movies. And the first one is obvious because it's what we based this entire podcast around House on Haunted Hill. And we both found out that we love going to that movie for comfort. But Mm -hmm. this one also, I think, when this came up, and we're like, you know, I love that movie. Who wouldn't love that movie?
0: Literally everyone who isn't us.
1: (laughs) I'm going on safari, motherfucker. Safari.
0: Death to smoochie
1: death the smoochie from 2002 a
0: fine film
1: and so this entire episode of ghouls in the house is devoted just to death the smoochie a movie that has often been regarded as one of the worst movies ever made by some people uh, genuinely reviled by critics from roger ebert to many others and uh treated with a great deal of disdain even up to and including the writer of the film itself who has disowned the movie Uh, so
0: we've disowned him
1: absolutely
0: but not the movie
1: because death to smoochie is brilliant
0: it's an extraordinary piece of work truly
1: it's incredibly funny it's sharply satirical everyone in it is fantastic in it it is endlessly revisitable it has some of the most quotable dialogue it's in that category of movies where there's dialogue in this i'll be quoting as often as possible in context and conversation for the rest of my life. <laughs> and I cannot understand why people dislike it. So if this is the episode of Ghouls in the House that finally causes you to break with us because you realize we are the two on the planet Earth that love Death to Smoochie with no irony whatsoever, none, then we're happy to see you go. Because <laughs> if it's a choice between you and Smoochie, it's going to be Smoochie all the way. If you want me, I'll be in my office. It's the big one over there, with the view. They all have views, you dumb shit! Not looking this way, cupcake! Directed by Danny DeVito, and he's also in it. Yes. Uh, And so I give him largely credit for shaping a lot of this, clearly. But with a phenomenal cast that really ranges weirdly around from comedians to just great character actors, but basically the entire thing uh, is based on the idea that there is a massive criminal enterprise built around the entire world of children's television.
0: Very believable.
1: And that children's television hosts their shows, their related escapades, and many other
0: charities. merchandising
1: efforts and charities are all part of a sinister criminal conspiracy. And when one children's host, Rainbow Randolph, played by Robin Williams, in what I genuinely, and I'm not kidding, believe to be one of the finest performances of his career.
0: Mm -hmm. More on that in a bit.
1: Gets caught trying to do a little dealing on the side. uh, The network that runs his show decides they need a squeaky clean guy to come in and be the next children's host that they can build all of their criminal enterprises around. And they find a dupe in Ed Norton who is Sheldon Mopes, a guy whose character, and I love the fact also, the many things in this movie I love is the fact that all these people, like, apparently all self-developed their characters. Right. And, like, he's already been doing this for a while. He entertains at methadone clinics as Smoochie the Rhino, who is also, all, on one level, clearly also based on Barney the Dinosaur, the basic look of the character. And I mean.
0: in-universe, you find out is based on Ricketts the Hippo.
1: <laughs> right. Who he loved as a child. <laughs> like Ricketts. They bring Sheldon in as Smoochie, except then you know Sheldon's like relentless positivity and desire to do good and to be good kind of clashes with the entire the syndicate. Uh, syndicate, yeah. <laughs> the syndicate, largely run by Harvey Firestein, and and then in and around all this, Danny DeVito as a talent agent who's part of the system, John Stewart as an executive at the network who's in with the whole group and also to finish off the main oh two other people i mentioned danny woodburn who is uh actor and little person who's done i've always loved him and everything he's ever been in but i also think this is one of my favorite performances of his is angelo who's clearly a jobbing actor kind of guy who will always be there to be like the sidekick for whatever children's host it is Mm -hmm. and he's like one of my favorite there's so many great lines but like, he was one of Rainbow Randolph's sidekicks as one of the, like, the little the characters. The crinkle kids. The crinkle kids. But now he's going to be one of the little rhinos that, that's with Smoochie He's a the rhino. now. And he felt, and like, Sheldon tells him right at the beginning, you know, we really appreciate you coming over and doing this show because you were one of the crinkle kids. And Angela's like, a job's a job. <laughs> it's like, you know, just give me the suit. But he's a great character. And then to complete sort of the... um Weird triangle that's also at the center of this. Catherine Keener, one of those actresses who never gets as much credit as she should.
0: She's a chameleon. She's amazing. As
1: a really, really extremely jaded executive who hates Sheldon's, like, what she believes to be his false positivity and goodness, only to discover that it's not fake. And she starts to let her guard down a little bit. And uh but it's also an extreme satire on everything from the way we over merchandise children's characters to how television works, the 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 celebration of icons in our culture. Charities as rackets. Charities and again and yeah, as surreal. That's another thing too, is the entire movie is done in a very surreal style. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of extremely oversaturated scenes. Color is a huge part of this movie because The colors of the characters are deeply saturated. But even when they're in the quote unquote real world, you see that color continue in everything from like the penthouse suite that the current children's host gets, like just as the thing you get when you're the new children's host to the bar run by the Irish mob that they hang out in. And another of my favorite characters, uh, Michael Rispoli has spent most of his career playing the second guy in every mob. Usually Mm -hmm. with a beard, and in this he's Spinner, uh, a retired boxer who has serious brain damage, who's related to Tommy, the woman who runs the Irish mob and the thing, and And just loves Smoochie. He's the sweetest guy on the planet. I don't know. Just I feel like this whole episode is just going to be us going on and on about how awesome that the Smoochie is. But there's your premise.
0: Yeah, I mean, here's the thing: there are some movies where tonally, either you're with it or you're just not
1: you have to buy into this you have like- to
0: you have to just go you have to go with it and you have to sort of buy in to i guess sort of the over the top like extraness of it all because if you don't then you're probably not going to have a good time with it and I feel the same way about Drop Dead Gorgeous, which is another one of those films that I never knew was also critically panned because I've always loved it so much. We may do an episode on that at some point. I'd be
1: happy to. And you yeah. know, the thing is about and and if you're wondering this one, well, well, wait a minute, why are you doing? It's like seems a little odd, but I would argue that both of them, yes, also have elements of the horror movie in it.
0: Absolutely, and
1: and it is partly. In the genre of horror and fantasy, and certainly relevant. Yeah. Drop Dead Gorgeous when I saw it for the first time. Now we've watched it many, many times. It's quickly become one of my favorite go to movies. Also, eminently quotable. And also. And a great cast. Yeah. And also has. we Well, we'll talk about that when we do it one time. There was a moment early in the movie where I suddenly realized, oh, that's the kind of movie this is. (laughs) Right. And in a way, this one is like that, too. This is an extremely dark movie. This is, not a, this is a movie entirely about kids show hosts in a massive war for supremacy and also being controlled by a criminal syndicate that sees murder and corruption as just part of their day to day life, including past kids show hosts who are now heroin addicts and assassins. And it all makes sense to everybody in that world.
0: I mean, it'll be two shows in a row now where I mention this, but it has kind of that Roger Rabbit quality
1: to it. Yeah.
0: Like that feeling of like, it's vibrant and it takes place here in our world, but it's not quite our world. And it has a noir feel to it. There's that thriller element and it's it's dark
1: i will say that because we love it so much doing it as its own episode makes sense but for those of you that may have just listened to or remember a previ- our previous episode about uh cabin was in the final girls which for us was like five minutes ago um <laughs> this would make a pretty good third also because it is also very meta in its own way but again this doesn't go to another reality or suggest there's another reality. This is the real world in a very surreal sense. Yeah. But there are meta aspects to it in commenting on the ridiculousness of pop culture, particularly like children's programming. and
0: It has a very never meet your heroes vibe to it. Yeah. Of like, you know, thinking that surely people are are inherently good is like sheldon's way of seeing the world like surely people are inherently good and you just have to draw the good out of them and he is just existing in a world where everyone is terrible and like he doesn't quite get it or understand it and there are even times where you're almost with the other characters who are like what the hell is with this guy because it's Almost like saccharine. Like it's a little insufferable sometimes how positive he is. Except then he'll occasionally have a moment where you realize he is human and he starts to get worked up or he's gonna like explode. And you realize that he's somebody who used to be an angry person and has found peace through creating this character that he's gonna bring to everyone else. And so it makes it feel a little more like okay he's not being held up as this like i don't know like mr rogers as jesus kind of figure you know what i mean because like mr rogers is like there's nothing wrong with them well
1: yeah i mean like you're saying one of the things you find out that makes it all make sense is he is actually pretty much the same as the rest of them he just found a way to control mm -hmm. his dark side and i love the ending where the dark side starts to come out and he's He's willing to grab a gun and say he's going to do something. Which, by the way, this came out in 2002. Yeah. His Incredible Hulk was 2008. In both movies, he's like shy, retiring, spindly little guy who has serious anger management issues. And I genuinely can't remember if I've ever read anything about that. But surely, I can't imagine they didn't see Death to Smoochie as one reason why he was a good choice for Banner. We all
0: have our bad days.
1: (laughs) That's right. He just needs to turn into Smoochie and that would be perfect. <laughs> Which also, by the way, there's another thing. In a weird sort of way, Death to Smoochie is a superhero movie.
0: Mm, I can see that. Because
1: it has a lot of characters wearing costumes, assuming other identities, and expressing themselves through those identities and fighting the good fight against an evil criminal organization yes so damn it death to Smoochy's is a superhero movie
0: there's also nazis in it so it's basically like captain america
1: it's exactly like captain america and in indiana jones <laughs> he also deals with nazis and yeah that's right <laughs> by the way getting back to robin williams one of the things we were saying robin williams at this point in the early 2000s of course was already robin williams for decades and there's a certain kind of humor that comes with him, where it's like you let him go, he's gonna do his Rob Williams stuff. And there's certainly lines in this movie you can definitely hear. He either threw them in, or there's his take on a line. It's or, like a
0: tick, almost, you know,
1: an ad lib. You can't stop him from being himself, nor would you want to necessarily. But right. one of the things I love the most about his performance in this is, and this is what we were trying to explain when we're watching it th- together this last time, is. I love his performance in it. I think he's great in it. I think it's also this weird thing where he's simultaneously so over the top and cartoonish and crazy as Rainbow Randolph, and yet he's weirdly restrained. He's not Robin Williams, Rainbow Randolph. He's Robin Williams playing the character Rainbow Randolph, and you get bits of Robin Williams through it. But I feel like he's really genuinely creating a character.
0: It's consistent. He is consistently behaving as Rainbow Randolph, mood swings and all. Yeah. Throughout the film. And he really like channels it and holds himself back.
1: And also later on, I love the fact that you basically find out he's basically a a seriously repressed guy who's probably gay and has always been fighting it his whole life. And like finally gets to be, you know, himself.
0: He's also kind of like a sad and angry child in like a man's body.
1: And then um, and I looked it up and I saw that people thought his performance was terrible. And apparently he was nominated for the Raz. And by the way, that stuff, uh, I hate that whoever does that. Yeah. uh, I despise that organization and whoever's involved with it and everything it represents. All these raspberry things. It's like, you know. As a critic, say what you will about something that you think is bad, but always say, you know, it just doesn't work for me. Things are not objective, well, mostly. There are some things that are terrible.
0: Occasionally, look, you're going to find something that gets criticized for a very good reason. Right. Because it's spreading a bad message. It has a very bad take. It treats a topic in a very wrong way. But
1: there's a lot of stuff that's criticized because it's not right for you, in which case you point out why you dislike something, but say, you know, but it doesn't mean that somebody else might not like it or find things to appreciate in it. The concept of the Razzies and this concept of worst is to me purely hateful and it's interesting that he lost the Razzie that year to Hayden Christensen (laughs) and someone else who has spent a long part of his life apparently being so scarred by it all that when they asked him back to be in Kenobi and everything it was apparently a joyous thing for him to get to play this part again everybody is gushing particularly the kids that grew up with the prequels. Everybody is gushing. Where about were they 20 years ago? Or, exactly. And it's like, look, his performance is also a product of a director like Lucas and all this craziness. Yeah. So anyway, Robin Williams in Death to Smoochie is brilliant. And everybody in the cast is brilliant. You have to be. The material is so bizarre that you either give it like 100 percent. Or it's not going to work. And of course, there are plenty of people who think it doesn't work. I disagree. I think everybody does a beautiful job in this.
0: And I think maybe that's the key to all of it. Is that every single actor in this movie is treating their part seriously. Like, none of them are playing for comedy. It just happens to be funny. So like they're all playing these straight characters like they don't they're not trying to be ridiculous or like off the wall or anything, but by virtue of the circumstances they find themselves in, they are. Yeah. And for me, I actually think if you look at sort of the parallels in terms of people playing things. Seriously, in a world that's not quite that serious, in a movie helmed by Danny DeVito, I think you can kind of parallel this to the experience of watching Matilda.
1: That's a very good point.
0: Um, which I also think is a horror movie personally. I mean, say what you will about World Doll, and there's a lot that can be said about World <laughs> Doll. Um, most of it bad. And that movie version in particular i think was very sort of seminal in shaping like the aesthetic for a lot of people my age of what we enjoy mm. you know people who are in like their early 40s now are sort of have like a, a real attachment to that particular version yeah of matilda not the book not doll but that film right. and it's sort of danny devito's vision for that film of a very, putting it together and
1: it's a very surreal very world also and a superhero movie very much so there's a lot of there's a lot of aesthetic and thematic choices between the two of them they're very similar and he himself
0: yeah. is willing to play just an absolute reprehensible human being well, in both I mean, movies
1: i mean i grew up at a time where like we pretty we we grew up with him as Louie and taxi and it's like that's what he does best it's, mm-hmm. it's just that's where he's at home it's interesting i was looking up too because he's had a a strangely limited and varied directing career specifically in and around everything else he does His the uh He first directed a movie in 1984 called The Ratings Game. It goes back that far, which I only vaguely remember that he and Rhea Perlman was in. He did Throw Mama from the Train, Wore the Roses, Hoffa. And it's like weird run in the 80s and early 90s. And he did Matilda and Death to Smoochie. The last time he's directed a feature film was a movie called Duplex in 2003 with Ben Stiller and Drew Barrymore. Haven't seen it also with harvey firestein by the way and it's like i get the feeling that people don't like his his shot at directing is not really there and and i think i mean death to smoochie killed a lot of things for a lot of people and was hugely dumped on
0: but most of the people in it came out just
1: fine yeah like no They're one's about... having
0: problems like katherine keener's still getting work yeah. like ed norton's getting plenty of
1: work john like... stewart went on to plenty of things was uh, like yeah, yeah. It's it's not like it, it hurt anyone that significantly, but I don't know. I, I genuinely, I it's mystifying to me why this movie is not, and I know that for some people it is a cult film, but it seems how even in that category, it's far less mentioned than a lot of other movies as beloved cult films. And I genuinely can't figure out Why so many people are so put off by a movie that just seems this brilliant and funny. And I and it's it's it just never ceases to amaze me that this is an odd thing for some people like you like that.
0: I think maybe part of it boils down to the fact that surrealism itself conceptually can be very divisive because not everyone likes surrealistic imagery or art or storytelling and even among those who do not everyone likes the same kind of surrealism
1: well and i have to admit i mean there have been times i've seen things or even we've watched things i think that i i think would still fit within that category that i really disliked so i guess it's also hit or miss for me toys is a good example also Robin Williams. Also
0: Robin Williams. Yeah. Very highly surrealistic. I
1: had a visceral reaction to that one of really not liking it. Yeah. But I can kind of see why somebody would. And I feel like if I had seen it, I've, I've said this a lot about a lot of things. Right. I feel like if I had seen it at the time or at a time where I was ready for it. Right. I'd feel differently.
0: Yeah. Like I saw it when I was a kid.
1: So. Was it Amelie? Yeah. That's another one that has a surreal quality to it that I really don't like. And I do. And so I guess, I mean, I guess I can see when a when a movie creates a very particular kind of reality, like we said before, you either buy into it or you don't. Right. And I feel like it's all or nothing. If you buy into it, you're really going to embrace it. If you don't, you're always going to be on the outside looking in. And it's probably very difficult to get past it. And maybe that's not something you can easily quantify. It's like it just works. Death of Smoochie just worked for me and always will because mm-hmm. it did. Yeah. Jawbreakers, would that be another one that kind of I think Jawbreaker
0: is a, a highly surrealistic high And also
1: highly colorful and color saturated, color coded. Very much a horror movie. We could do very that. Very much sometime. so. Yeah. So yeah, that that's also another one.
0: You know, for me, I I love surrealism like love it you're a huge
1: dolly fan i'm
0: a huge dolly fan but i'm also a huge Magritte fan you know that all falls in the same category years ago i was visiting a friend in brussels and while she was at work one day i spent literally an entire day in the Magritte museum just like staring at art and loving the heck out of it but it's also not for everyone like i and it's much like we say with movies right like with Death the Smoochie, if you look at a Dolly painting or a Magritte painting and you think it doesn't do anything for me, I don't feel anything from it, I'm not going to tell you you're looking at the painting wrong. And that's the problem, I think, that comes into play a lot when it, you take the opinions of critics as some sort of gospel with this. So you get a movie like this that was just critically panned and it never had a chance. Now, if it had been released now in an era where people have a slightly sort of wider view of sources for talking about it, it's like it was released at a time where you're going to have a list of maybe a dozen critics that Represent the entirety of like the taste making opinion yeah. for what people would decide or not decide. And you're either going to see it in the theater or you're not. And based on whether you do, that's it. The movie lives or dies by that. Now that's different. Now we have different avenues, we have direct video options where they can say, Hey, if you like what we're putting out there, just buy it right from us. And there is a little bit more of a chance for odd or weird or surreal movies to kind of get a foothold in a way that they couldn't when this was released.
1: Don't normally do this either, but I feel like because we're sort of defending a movie that has been so like dumped on, Mm. it's worth listening to a little bit of this. And, and you just were talking about sort of tastemakers Mm -hmm. and gatekeepers. I hate it. And the thing is, say what you will about Roger Ebert. There's plenty of things I thought Roger Ebert got right, but he was a human being. You know, he was There's a,
0: a lot he got wrong. A lot he got
1: wrong. Like course, a lot. I could certainly talk about the fact that he thought Night of the Living Dead was an affront to all of human uh, society. All I'm saying he is- He changed his mind about that, by the way. If Ebert
0: were a meteorologist, he would have lost his job because he would have gotten the weather wrong too high a they percentage of the time. They
1: all get it wrong. I
0: know. I don't know how any meteorologist has a job, but, anyway, but you know what I mean. Yeah.
1: He famously, or rather infamously, I would say, gave it half a star out of four. Oof. And at one point said, only enormously talented people could have made Death the Smoochie. Those with lesser gifts would have lacked the nerve to make a film so bad, so miscalculated, so lacking any connection with any possible audience. To make a film this awful, you have to have enormous ambition and confidence and dream big dreams. And he called it his worst film of the year. And Peter Travers, Rolling Stone, another one of the gatekeepers said this black comic assault on family entertainment is going to set a lot of teeth on edge. And yet what's interesting is, in The Village Voice, Jay Hoberman said, uh, is often very funny, but what's even more remarkable is the integrity of DeVito's misanthropic vision. And of all things, David Sterritt of the Christian Science Monitor said, it's a razor-sharp satire and the most refreshingly outrageous movie of the season don't hold the christian science monitor's positive reaction against the movie however it is also brilliant regardless of that
0: i think that roger ebert really didn't understand satire ever he ripped apart drop dead gorgeous as well said absolutely horrific things about it
1: but that's the thing right it's this idea of like if you don't get it it's not that you're not it's it's like you just said it's It's not for you it's a thing we hate too about saying you don't get it like as if to say this is too clever for you right that's garbage but also it's the idea that if you don't get it you don't get it it's not for you but you don't get to then say this is for no one right because clearly here we are (laughs) it's for us yeah and there are other people who think so i've met some it's the idea that someone can be one of the chosen to sit on high and say, I dislike this thing. Therefore, it is inherently dislikable. That's not the way it works.
0: Mm-mm. And it's fine if you dislike something and, and you're welcome to say it. But honestly, from hearing that Ebert review, I don't even think I understand why he disliked it. It's like there's it's the, nothing in there that says this is specifically why I think it's bad, well, there's
1: more to the review, I'm of sure. course.
0: Yeah. But when you hear opinions like that and you think, you know, what he's really saying is, this wasn't in fitting with my sense of humor, right. And that's very different from critiquing a movie because the movie's message is inherently like misogynistic or because the movie. Espouses bigoted views or things like that. Like there are if it if it genuinely like earnestly is trying to promote a very bad or dangerous or wrong thing, that is a, a very justifiable reason to criticize a film and say this is bad and no one should watch it. But that's a very small percentage.
1: Death to Smoochie is a movie about kids' show hosts that has like a third act climactic sequence set. At the most over-the-top pretentious ice show you will ever see, in which Smoochie replays his entire life for all the little children who are there. He recaps the movie. With classical music, the death of a friend, <laughs> his ascension to heaven.
0: A lot of rhinos on ice skates.
1: And also fills the the ice rink, the i the the arena with um swastika banners because he replays for everyone the nazi sequence earlier in the movie where it's relevant in the story of his life that he's telling everyone and uh it's genius it's amazing at the
0: very end of the movie he retells the movie recasting all of the characters as rhinoceroses rhinocerai rhinoceroses rhinos rhinos
1: (laughs) Rhinos. he
0: recasts every single character in the film as a rhino Puts it on ice, adds opera. I mean. Yeah. And the children love it. They're just eating it up. And it's like.
1: Right along with their like uh, vegan and, uh, you know, totally ecologically friendly and helpful snacks. Yeah.
0: Salt-free pretzels. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just, it's brilliant. I mean, even just that sequence is brilliant. Yeah. You know, like there are so many elements of this that are just you could take little sequences and say the brilliance of this sequence is unparalleled
1: here's the level of commitment to the premise is that a character is killed in chinatown so in the ice show we witness the death of that character in chinatown and while there's like set pieces set up to convey in that typical way you do in a minimalist way, like signs set up to make you look like you're downtown in Chinatown with neon mm-hmm. on the ice, there is apparently a spotlight playing all over that sequence of the ice show that is projecting Chinese characters onto the surface of the ice. And I found out that apparently, whether it's good translation or bad translation, I don't know. The, the characters are saying dead rhino. <laughs> and that's the level of commitment to detail. I'd have to look up the has.
0: characters. My spoken Chinese is far better than my my uh, ability to read, but unfortunately. Uh, but I, I trust Danny DeVito to get that right. You
1: know, another thing I'll say about it too, another comparison. I never liked this at all because it's not my character. And mm-hmm. I also never liked the movie. But I But I respect it from an aesthetic point of view. Another movie this owes a lot to is the Warren Beatty, Dick Tracy, which also heavily leaned into the oversaturated comic strip color kind of approach to a dark noir world that somehow is also a comic book world. And that's exactly the aesthetic this movie has. It's a film noir if it was dipped in Technicolor and turned into a comic strip.
0: Sheldon's also kind of a Pee Wee Herman
1: yeah very kind mu- of character yeah, very much. like yeah. has his
0: own world and his own relentless positivity right. and outlook on things even when everyone around him is like
1: it's a good tagline it's the triumph for relentless positivity <laughs> in this movie
0: yeah i mean but there's also like crazy horror elements yeah. and murders and mob hits
1: yeah I mean, it's... Did you get the impression that we liked Death the Smoochie yet? Have we conveyed that sufficiently? I mean... And if you haven't seen it and you listened to this whole thing or you saw it once and hated it, we would say, give it another shot. Even though we just say it's either for you or not, I've also said that sometimes you can revisit things and reevaluate. You give can. it some time. Maybe maybe you're in a different point in your life and Death the Smoochie might be there for you at that point.
0: I mean, ultimately what I would say is it's totally fine. If you don't like it, but don't avoid watching it because someone else told you you're not going to like it. And I think that's really the big takeaway, because I tend to like completely ignore or avoid the critics take on everything. It's sort of an area where you and I differ a bit simply because you've worked in the field of like review and recaps and like that area of pop culture and for me i routinely especially when i know i'm gonna see something i try to go into it not ever even having seen a trailer sometimes so for me i feel like it's given me a unique perspective on a lot of the films i've seen because i've gone in completely blind to other people's opinions on it
1: i think you genuinely benefited from a life of not really caring all that much what the supposed received fan discourse said about something i feel and i know we've talked about it in different ways over the years i feel like that's only hurt my appreciation of a lot of things and i mean say what you i mean i could certainly find flaws in things but like for people that know star trek stuff I still always go back, like when my father and I saw Star Trek V, we walked out of the air thinking we'd been on a roller coaster. We loved it. Then afterward, we found out we're supposed to not like it. And there's plenty of reasons not to like it, really. But also, I still like it. And it's like, time. you know, you, you just don't. What other people say, you can take it in as a perspective, but it shouldn't dictate your own personal reaction to things. For sure. And I spent a lot of time, you right, writing stuff and also being in that kind of industry where occasionally we're told what we had to be positive yeah. about. So it's and, not as bad as a conspiracy theorist would have you believe. But there are things written specifically because a company told somebody we want a good one for this.
0: And I've, I've worked in that area in a different field. I spent a chunk of time working for a lifestyle magazine where we're doing like restaurant reviews or, you know, reviews of of businesses and and things in the community where it was like there were times we were told you don't have to give someone a positive review but they are an ad buying client and so if you could just try to find the positives in your experience we would appreciate that and that was sort of your wink and so it was sort of not exactly like Shady or underhanded or untrue, but they're sort of saying it's okay if you don't like something, but if you wouldn't mind, please make sure you highlight the things you did like from your experience. And I, you know, you get some of that in that world as well. But mostly, I think like what you like. I mean, like we clearly bonded over this. Like to us, the fact that we both love this movie so much was so indicative of our sense of humor and also of our ability to sort of immerse ourselves in the world of a movie, which is something we both enjoy doing and an appreciation for people really committing to the bit, which they all do in, in vast
1: amounts in this movie. Thanks for listening to Ghouls in the House featuring Natalie B. and Arnold T. Blumberg. You can find Natalie on Post.News at N.B. that's N.B. Lit of Sky, and Arnold, the Doctor of the Dead, that's me. Our movies this episode were Death to Smoochie, 2002. Oh, you okay? I don't know, I'm kind of fucked up in general, so it's hard to gauge. Rules in the House is an ATV Publishing production. Check out our other podcasts, books on your favorite fictional worlds, and other assorted goodies at www.atvpublishing.com.